I know all these teenagers and kids ready to go back to school tomorrow. The countdown is on. There's only 180 days left, you know? Um, and believe me, uh, us teachers, we know that countdown too. Before we get started, and thank you guys for that awesome worship. This was an acoustic and two voices. Man, I just let you know, man, you just, all you need is a heart that wants to praise the Lord, man. Um, let's pray. Father God, thank you just for the reminder that it is the only reason we're saved. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood. Nothing. We try so hard to do good, to undo our bad, and we think we got to earn your forgiveness and earn your love. But the only reason anybody sits here today pure and forgiven and holy is because of the blood, because of what you came down here from heaven and did. Lord, it's an amazing thing. And Lord, we are weak, but your spirit can be so strong inside of us. Lord, if we'll just open our hearts to you daily and just breathe you in and exhale praise to you and just be mindful of you and set our minds on the good things from above, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to make a joyful noise to you, Lord, all of us, Lord, that we can just come before you and come before your presence with singing and know, Lord, that that you're good. I just pray, Lord, that you'll open our hearts, open our minds, ears, eyes, Lord, that we can see, hear, know things that we we didn't know before, that we didn't think about before, and we walk out these doors just better equipped to live for you, Lord. Many of these kids and many of these teachers are about to go, Lord, and they're going to be in front of people, and people are going to be watching us, and people are going to be watching them. I just pray that you equip us, Lord, to, to be different, to let our light shine before men, that people may see our good deeds and glorify our Father, Lord, you who are in heaven. I just pray that you anoint these words, anoint the rest of this time, Lord, and just let your presence fall upon us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I uh, want you to think about a question, and here's the question. We'll just jump into it. What's your goal in Christianity? Okay? Think about it. Come up with a, what do you want out of all of this? What do you want out of the Bible? What do you want from God? What do you want? What's your goal in being a Christian? Everybody sitting here has probably said, you know, Lord, I need you to come into my heart. I need you to forgive me. Uh, Wash me of my sins. we've, We've probably all said that. But what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? And as I thought about this for me, I've been in three different places with thinking about my goal. As a 16-year-old kid who got saved for the, you know, I usually say for the first time because I don't know, I think I got saved about 110 times. Um, but, you know, the first one counted. I know that it did, you know, but you just kind of start doing your own thing and think you need to get saved again and saved again. I did that whole thing, okay? Uh, raise your hand if you've done that whole thing. All right, so good. Not the only one. Um, so, but at first, my goal was hell avoidance. Okay, there's a place called hell. It's forever. It's hot. It's awful. You don't want to go there. Jesus is the way to not go there. So, hey, what I need to say, you know, and uh, you know, I said the prayer, and you know, I felt forgiven and everything, and it was like a whew. 
glad I got that taken care of. And that was it. It was just, I thought it was just that one little thing that it's just you either did or you didn't. It was a little checkbox. And, of course, I got that box checked that day, and now I'm good to go. Um, then it transitioned into, um, well, I want to be able to do what I want to do and still be okay. You know, yeah, I do all this wrong stuff, but as long as at the end of the day, Lord, I know I did this, I'm sorry, help me not do it again. Okay, I can go to sleep with peace, I'm okay. It's, it's okay. And you know, and the one thing that I wanted to do was, you know, I've t- told you this probably a million times, is, you know, I was, man, my goal was to be a rock star. I wanted to play loud guitar with those big old mounds of Marshall stacks behind me. And just when I hit the power cord, you just felt it. And just like, oh, it's just so awesome. That is just, ah, oh, it's the bomb. That's, that's what I wanted to do with my life. And there was this movie that came out like in 2001. And I was really glad it came out when it did. And I'm not saying watch it. And I probably need to go ahead and kind of justify myself with these whole movie things. Because I know I bring them up an awful lot. Um, but in, in like 2005, I remember, um, anybody remember the Clemson movie theater where you could uh, go for like a dollar? <laughs> I mean, like, I miss that so much. You know, I wish some rich person would just go ahead and do it. I remember like when they doubled ticket prices to like $2. And like, you didn't even care. You're like... <laughs> Cool, they should have been charging that all along. Then they had like the deal where you could pay $10 and get the popcorn and everything. I was like, man, that's... And you know, the movie would cut off halfway and you like didn't even care. You're like, man, $2. This is awesome. All right, I don't know why I'm on that but But anyway, I was sitting there at the Clemson Movie Theater and uh, me and my wife, we were watching a movie called The Wedding Crashers. And I just remember, I mean, and I was just... I think, you know, around then, I was just really kind of starting to pursue God. I was really starting to try to read His Word. And um, I remember sitting in that movie and just all the foul-mouthing, all the sexual immorality, the way they treated, you know, just those women. and It just started making me sick on the inside. And, you know, I had a conversation with my wife. I said, listen, I'm done with movies like that. If it's rated R, and I know it's going to have all kinds of crude languages, you know, and stuff like that. So, you know, post-2005, I've really watched very few movies, you know. I did go see Guardians of the Galaxy, and I've uh, been saying, ooga, chaka, ooga, ooga, <laughs> like over and over, you know, like, i got to get that out of my head. Um, but anyway, I don't know why I went there either. Um, I was sitting there, and like post-2005, I really don't watch that many movies, you know, I just, I just don't. I just stopped and, and realized, man, I'm not missing anything because pre-2005, I like watched them all. And I do remember when the movie Rockstar came out with Mark Wahlberg. And, you know, and he got to be the lead singer of uh, Steel Dragon, you know, and his dream came true. He got everything he thought he wanted out of life. The rock star lifestyle, he got everything he wanted. And one day, he's sitting there on stage, and he realizes it's not worth it. This is not the life that he wants. He's got all the drugs, all the money, all the girls, but he had to give up the one girl that he loves. He had to give all that stuff up, uh, all that stuff up. And I'm like, you know, this movie, I'm so glad 
glad it came out because that's me. And I can imagine if I was getting to do what I thought I wanted to, I just know right now I would hate it. I'd be playing the same songs every night just with this superficial front of, look how awesome I am, the rock guitar God, and missing out on my wife and missing out on my kids and missing out on my family. I didn't get ripped off by following God's way and putting that dream on the back burner, but that's what I thought I wanted, that I could do what I want to do and still be okay. And so, you know, when I read things like Mark eight thirty six, what does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his soul? That I really got to think about, and I'm really glad that movie came out because now, now my goal is to have as much of the presence of God as possible. And this really changes the way that I view sin. And because I remember, you know, where I would just not do things or do things and ask for forgiveness quickly because I wanted peace with God. I wanted him to be okay with me. I didn't have a change in my heart to where I didn't do those things because I loved him. I didn't do those things because I didn't want him mad at me. And that perspective is huge. And I'm finding that today I'm beginning to call things sin in my own life that I would have argued with you and I would have fought you over just a few years if you had tried to convince me that these things that I do or the music that I listen to or the things that I watch is sin, I would have fought you on them. No, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't affect me. But now, I don't do a lot of those things, not because I'm trying to make God happy, but because I want His presence. I want him on my life and I want that feeling of just weeping and crying because he's all over me. That is the best feeling in the world. There's no alcohol, there's no drug, there's nothing that replaces that feeling of just the Holy Spirit engulfing you. I remember the first time it happened that I was just in a, I was in my truck and I was just driving down the road and it just happened and it was so thick and so heavy. I just, the first thing I said was, God, stop that. You got to turn that off. And a few more times it went on like that. And I said, stop that. You've got to turn that off. And like, then I started like saying, embracing it. And I started just getting more and more of it. And I started wanting more and more of it, man. And just, you know, it's just warped into this things where that's what I'm shooting for. He's the most powerful drug. He's the best high. He's the best thing that this life has to offer. So now that's my goal. What's your goal? Okay, you're probably in one of those three places. You know, you're like, all right, well, I thought I was done. I just said the prayer and I don't have to go to hell. Uh, or you're in that stage where you, you're fighting it. You know, with one group, you put on this Christian mask and you want to follow him and you want to do right. And then with one group, you're over here and you put on the world mask and you want to talk like them and do like them. I've been there. It's an awful place to be. And it would be ten times harder to be, that, to be a Christian now in this environment than I think it was back in the early 90s when I was a Christian trying you know, to be a Christian in that environment. So, or your goal is to have as much of Him as possible. So look at this verse, Proverbs 4.23. It says, Guard your heart, for with it, with, with all diligence, I mean be diligent, be daily, guard your heart. For out of it springs the issues of life. 
Okay, and so our guard, this is, this is the title of my sermon, Guard Your Heart. Because all of life's way, all of life's opportunities flows out of your heart and what, what's inside of your heart and what flows out of your heart. So guard it. And just so you notice, there's a verse that I, I can't believe I've read right over. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. And uh, listen to what this says. This is just, I almost called this sermon, One Unguarded Moment. Um, but I wasn't going to be elaborating enough on just this one moment. So I just decided to call it Guard Your Heart. And listen to this. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's what I want people to say about me. I'm sure that's what you want people to say about you. When you read the book of Kings, they either did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or they did evil in the sight of the Lord. It's basically, that's how it's all going to be summed up at the end of your life. You either did or you didn't and had not turned aside from anything that God commanded him. David didn't turn aside for anything that God commanded him. Um, all the days of his life. Look at that comma. One unguarded moment. Remember the story in the springtime when kings go out to war? What did David do? He stayed at the palace. He didn't go fight with his men. He didn't get with a group of guys with the same goal in mind, the same destination, the same conquering mentality. He just stayed at home and he got into trouble. And look at how the writer of Kings remembers David. Yes, David was an awesome king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't turn away from any of his commands except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Remember what the man after the Lord did, after the, uh, the man after God's own heart. You remember when he took his wife and then got her pregnant and then tried to cover it up, tried to get Uriah drunk to go sleep with her, and he wouldn't do it. And so he sent him back with a letter with his death sentence saying, here, put Uriah on the front where the battle is the fiercest. And when it gets tough and heated, back away from him so that he will be struck dead. Really? The mighty man, that's why he did. And why did that happen? Because of one unguarded moment. He didn't guard his heart. And he had people try. And he says, who is that woman? That's Bathsheba. Remember the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The dude you usually go fight with in the spring? That's his wife. But, but he just let down his guard and said, I'm going to do what I want to do for this little season in my life, this spring, when kings go out to war, this is what I'm going to do. And there's a little story that illustrates this very well. Don't you think about one unguarded moment and uh, just guarding your heart. And I, I really just want you to think that about how the rules are for you. If there's a rule in the Bible, then it's not... So I can make God happy. He's not just coming up with some set of rules saying, if you do this, I'm happy. If you don't, I'm very unhappy. If you do this, I will accept you. If you don't do this, I will condemn you. It's not an arbitrary set of rules. The rules are for you. And I want you to hear about one rule that Mama Bear told Honey Bear. Okay? So this is the adventures of honey bear. And so, Jameson, I know I've probably bored you to death so far, but this part's for you, okay? All right. Honey bear, all right? His mother could have named him Patty Bear for the thick cushion pads on the underside of his little fat paws. 
She could have named him Berry Bear for his great zest for the wild sweet berries in the forest. But the name that stuck was Honey Bear. Now, all bears love honey, but this little fellow had an insatiable appetite for the sweet, delectable stuff. He knew where to find it, too. His mother had shown his brother and him just how to look for the hollows in the trees and climb up and help themselves. He had tried it, too. Only his first visit to a honey hollow wasn't very good, for the bees were still home. What a fierce chase they gave him. Honey Bear half climbed and half fell down from the tree to escape their savage stings. He swatted bees halfway back to the den where his mother soothed him and licked his painful, swollen wound. Honey Bear loved his home in the Great National Forest. It was the perfect place for a little black bear like him. He was quite safe, except when those curious two-legged creatures appeared. They were... Humans, sometimes called people. The only one to be trusted was a strong, quiet man who came through the woods in a brown uniform and big, stiff, broad-brimmed hat. He was called the Forest Ranger. He could be trusted, but other humans were to be avoided at all costs. They did act strange, Honey Bear thought, as they sometimes stood below a tree peering up at him and his brothers as if they were some kind of curiosity. Honey Bear thought it was the humans who were the curiosity. At certain places, signs were posted. Honey Bear could not read the messages, but they must have said, No eating allowed, or do not feed the bears, for the humans never left any food for the cubs to enjoy. Now out on the trails, it was different. Honey Bear often found goodies, a tasty peanut butter sandwich, an apple core, or some sweet goodie. But it was that very taste for goodies that got Honey Bear in trouble. Such was the day he got a whiff of goodies from a people campsite. No people were around, so Honey Bear found his nose to a table covered with delicious things and a tent full of more food than the heart could wish for. Honey Bear was having himself a fine party when to his great dismay the campers came back. Such angry shouting and rock throwing Honey Bear had never witnessed before. He scurried away in fear for his very life. He hardly found a safe haven at home, though, for his mother came running, gave him a sound swat with her big mother bear paw, and in mother bear language, made him understand that he had disobeyed her rule and was to never go back to a people camp again. What temptations Honey Bear faced! Why did the forbidden food taste so good? Or why did honey taste so sweet? Honey Bear was getting along pretty well, learning and growing, until one day a sweet-smelling scent filled the air and came drifting through the woods. Honey Bear's nose twitched, wiggled, snuffed in the whole enticing fragrance, and soon led him to the exciting treat. Honey Bear thought it rather strange that this honey was in such an unusual place, but that made it all the easier. He would not even have to climb a tree. Honey Bear reached forward with his paw to get it when something horrible happened. There was no chance to escape. As soon as his big paw touched the tree, the hidden trap snapped shut with Honey Bear's front leg and paw caught hopelessly in its sharp, jagged teeth. In shock and awful pain, Honey Bear bawled out in agony. In terror, he pulled, twisted, and writhed, trying to free himself, but nothing helped. 
It only made the pain more intense. Again and again, he moaned and cried that pitiful, agonizing bawl, but no help came. He lay for what seemed like hours, terrified and in mortal pain. Again came the bear cub's pleading cry. Perhaps his mother would come. But she was too frightened by the sin of the man who set the cruel trap to come near. Honey's cries went unheeded as the grieving mother led her other cub to safety in the dark forest, leaving Honey Bear alone to face the consequences of his action. Honey Bear was desperate. The spring of the trap had done its deadly work. The awful jaws had clamped shut and held Honey Bear fast. He fought and clawed at the awful trap. Now delirious with fear and weak from bleeding, Honey Bear began the only apparent solution. Oh, no, Honey Bear, don't do that. You must not do that. But some way, he had to get free. Biting and tearing at the flesh, he feverishly began the gruesome work of gnawing off his trapped little legs. The excru- excruciating pain only drove him more intensely. The more he gnawed, the more blood flowed until at last his strength was gone. In pain and fear, he uttered one last distressing wail. Hope was gone. Then the cub heard a sound. Again, fear struck. It was the sound of a man. Had he come to inflict more harm and cruelty? Had he come to kill the darling cub? No, it was the forest ranger. Okay, all right. Um, Who knew all the sounds of the forest? He had heard the anguished cries of the little bear and knew at once he was in trouble. At the first cry, he ran from the road below, up the mountain, and through the thick trees to rescue the precious cub. To relieve the poor baby's pain and stress, the ranger shot a small tranquilizer dart. Honey Bear's pain from the trap was so great, he didn't even feel the sting of the dart. As the ranger eased closer, he talked reassuringly to the cub. Honey Bear was glad to hear his kind voice. The ranger could plainly see the small loaf of honey-soaked bread that had lured the honey bear into the trap. Although the honey was not in its natural place, Honey Bear searched it out to his own destruction. The ranger vowed to catch the culprit who had set the brutal trap and bring him to justice. In minutes, the blessed medicine did its work, and the little cub relaxed and fell asleep. The ranger gently opened the treacherous trap and lifted the mangled leg out of its crushing jaws. A tourniquet, antiseptic, a splint, and clean bandages were all tenderly put in place to keep the precious bear safe and comfortable as the kind ranger lifted him onto his shoulders and carried him down the mountain to his truck and on to the veterinary hospital. When Honey Bear awoke in the strange surroundings, It was the ranger's kind, steady voice that calmed his fears. The hospital staff worked with Honey Bear every day to help him get well, but it was the ranger's faithful visits day after day with treats, toys, playtimes, and reassuring voice that helped the little rascal get back to health. There seemed to be a special bind between the ranger and the cub now. Weeks of treatment and therapy passed. Then came the day when the ranger took Honey Bear to his own home, First, there were walks on a chain to get the cub acquainted with the forest again. When the ranger was sure Honey Bear could survive on his own, he released the chain and let the cub go. It tore at the ranger's heart, but he knew it was best for the bear. Go on, Honey Bear, the ranger coast. Go on back home. Honey Bear hesitated, reluctant to leave his loving friend. But at last, he turned to disappear into the brush and trees. 
As seasons passed, Honey Bear grew. He grew up to be a giant bear, brave and powerful and ever so handsome, but he never forgot the ranger who had come to his rescue. He sometimes came back near the ranger station to get a grateful bear's view of the ranger. He often would spot him in the forest and pause near enough for the ranger to recognize and speak to him in that warm, friendly voice that Honey Bear had learned to love and trust. Honey Bear never forgot what the ranger did for him. And they were always, ever, and they were ever and always special friends. How cool is that? I mean, isn't that what God did for all of us? I mean, He left me while I was sitting there dead in my own sin and doing my own things and self-destructing. God, Jesus, the mighty ranger, came down and He rescued me. He reached down and He picked me up and He did exactly what the ranger did for the bear. He started pouring His Word into me. He started comforting me. He started reassuring me. And then he didn't just turn me back loose in the world. He said, here, you know, go on. You can do this. I'm with you. You'll be able to hear my voice. You'll be able to see me. He did all of this for me. And I love the ending of this. This is so powerful. Look at the last slide here. Um, You know, that's us. You know, that, that was me. And, you know, I like to think over the years, man, he's picked me up, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground, and he's through the cross, man. He's, he's made me mature. He's made me grow in him. And I'm at a place now that I never, ever thought was possible 20-something years ago when I gave my life to him. But, dear, dear child, there is a special friend who has come to your rescue. The Lord Jesus Christ is waiting to rescue you from the jaws of sin and death. Just as the evil man set the trap for honey bears, Satan has set traps of temptation for you. As honey bear was lured, lured into the trap by sweet honey, Satan will use what you love to draw you into sin. Isaiah said, we've turned everyone to his own way. Loving your own way leads to many other sins, disobedience, rebellion, lying, cheating, stealing, sneakiness, stubbornness, and more. Sin gets you in trouble for wrongdoing now, but it will at last have even worse consequences. After death, you face God's eternal judgment. It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, to face judgment. That judgment means eternal death in hell cut off from God's love and mercy. Like honey bear in the trap, you'll face that judgment all alone. Honey bear had to depend on the kind ranger to rescue him from the trap. And you must look by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to rescue you from sin. Christ died for our sin, was buried, and rose again on the third day. The sinless Son of God took your sins on Himself and suffered your punishment. Now He lives to forgive and set you free from sin if you will accept His payment as God's free gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Honey Bear learned much from the awful trap, and he grew up to be a fine, strong bear who made the ranger proud. If you will receive Christ, you can grow up to be a strong, faithful Christian. By His grace, you can do God's will and receive His approval and rewards. Turn from your sin and receive Christ by faith. He will give you a new heart that will want to do right. The ranger lifted Honey Bear in his arms and carried him to safety. 
in a more wonderful way, the Lord Jesus will lift you up in His arms of love and carry you safely to heaven. Who could reject such love? Trust Him today. As many as received Him, to them He gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. What a powerful message. And maybe you are here today and you don't know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Don't leave here without making sure that you've put your life in His hands. Because He can take your life and He can make something beautiful out of it. That's what He does. That's what He specializes in in taking broken lives and making them something beautiful. So, having said that, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and put and, and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of of the devil. I think that's such a cool word. The wiles of the devil, the schemes, the deceitfulness of the devil. He'll be taking your your God-given desires, desires that God put in, but he wants you to pervert them. He wants you to satisfy them in just a in a wrong way. He, that's what he wants to do. He wants to take what God has given you and get you to satisfy it in a way that dishonors him and disconnects you. From him, And one thing I thought of was the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses of it. But, you know, Jesus said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. Okay? So really, you know, if you get into it, he's saying, Father, you're better off to me dead than alive. Because you got a lot of money and I want your money. So... How about you just go ahead and give me what's coming to me? Now remember, he's worth, he's the younger son. So if uh, the dad's worth $3 million, you know, then the, the older son would get two, the younger son would get one. So, you know, he's asking basically for his third because the older son would get two-thirds. It says, so the father decided or divided to, to them, you know, his livelihood. He went ahead and gave them what he asked for. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. Now, why did he do that? Because he knew that the father would never approve of the lifestyle that he wanted to live. You know, he's like, I still somehow want to be connected to my father, but I want to go here and do my own thing, okay? And a lot of people, I've been there, you know. So he journeyed to a friend there, wasted his possessions with wild prodigal living. Now think about that. And here's what I thought about. He wasted his possessions that who gave him? The Father. See, we can't, you can't go out here and just do what you want to do because whatever it is you want to do, you've got to use what the Father gave to you in the first place to either to be able to do it. You know, like you want we want to go out and inhale those those drugs or drink that, well, guess what? We've got we to gotta use the breath that the Father gave us. You remember he made the mud man and breathed into him, and that mud somehow became flesh and veins and organs, and he breathed life into us. And you've got to take that breath 
to do all these, to fulfill that need for pleasure and to get away in a wrong way because he wants to be the one to, to help you feel that way anyway. You want to you wanna look and lust after computer images or pornography or anything like that? Guess what? You've got to use those eyes that he gave you to see probably the most complex piece of... Organ, whatever in our bodies, it's the most complex thing he gave us. You know, even people don't really understand how the eye works. You've got to use that to fulfill that desire that he gave you in a different way. You still have to use his stuff to go out and live the way you want to. And this is the big one, and this is always difficult to talk about. But, you know, you want to have that sex outside of marriage? You've got to use that desire that he wanted for you to have inside of a marriage. And guys, I messed this up more than anybody, but I can tell you this, on my wedding day, I would have given anything to take it all back. Why did I use what he gave me and fulfill it in a way that separated, separate from what he wanted from me? He wanted me to learn self-control. He wanted me to learn to just get a hold of myself and, and learn how to control myself so that I could take that into a marriage and, and add value to my marriage, not just do everything I want and then say, well, I'm going to go ahead and get married and I'm still going to do what I want. No, that's not the way it works. I still have to use that stuff to grant these desires. I still got to use what he gave me. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, Marcus, if y'all want to go ahead and start coming back up. This is my first closing. Um, Hebrews chapter 12. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Remember what we talked about, the bad trait? You know, right here, here's my... I'll, if you'll, I'll give you uh, this bowl of stew, this very temporary way to satisfy your hunger. I mean, if you eat this, you're, you're still going to be hungry again. But for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. And we do this all the time, guys. We do this. And notice how he equates that with, with fornication, you know, and sex. You know, outside of marriage, we just don't realize the consequences of our actions, if, if I know if those, if those teenagers, if you could just think about it, and I'm not down on anybody. Listen, I come from a 17-year-old uh, mom who had me, you know, just as soon as she got out of high school. And I'm thankful that people didn't treat her like, well, you can't come to church here because, you know, you did that, and we don't like, we don't like any of that. So, listen, I come from that, you know, and, and I see it happen all the time. They just don't realize the consequences of their actions, I, I try to talk to the middle schoolers all the time and say, look, if you choose to do this, if you choose to go after those bad boys who don't work in class, I'm telling you, they're going to become the people who don't keep a job and don't have any money. You're going after the wrong ones. <laughs> go after the ones who work. You know, they're the ones that's going to provide you a secure home, but, you know, they don't listen to me. I'm just, I'm just dumb, but you just, if you just... Think about the consequences of your actions. I'm fortunate I didn't have a, a kid when I was in high school. You know, if, if I look at what that would have done to my family. I mean, I still got to go to school. My mom and dad now is going to have to raise, 
you know, my, my kid, while I'm gone, is still trying to build my life. They're going to have to stay in my mom and dad's house while I go try to, to build my own house. And it doesn't affect just you. And I think that's the lie, that it's my body. I can do what I want to with it. And that's the lie. You can't. It's going to affect everybody. And here's the question I always get. Well, Mr. Hopkins, what are you going to do if your daughter's the one that gets pregnant? What am I going to do? Well, I'm going to teach her the consequences of her actions when she wants to go back out with her boyfriend on Friday and Saturday and, and do the things that she was doing to get that way to begin with. No, I'm not staying with them. Me and your mom's going out. We already raised you. you got to be the one to raise the kid. Now, it's your responsibility. It's just, it's just what you chose. But am I still going to love her? Absolutely. Am I still going to try to be like the ranger and speak life into her and help her to, to grow in the Lord and help her to go out and be responsible and help her to love her kid and raise a great kid? Absolutely. And I hope that's what this church would help me do if that happens. You know, it's not going to be like, oh, well, look at that. They made a mistake. Let's kick them in the ground. They're going to hell. They obviously didn't get saved. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to embrace them and say, listen, yes, you made a mistake, but we've all made mistakes. Have we not? And let's lift them up and let's help them. Let's build them back up and let's love them and show them that, yes, consequences here, yeah, it's going to be hard for you. You just made your life harder. That's why God didn't want that. He didn't want that life for you. He wanted you to build your education and build your job and do what it is you want. Have a home and bring. That's what He wanted for you, but now that's over. Let's do the best we can with what we have now and build your life and get closer to Him so that you can, that you can raise a kid that honors the Lord and honor the Lord yourself. That's what we want. And if you think about it, I'll end with this. Here's a statement that I heard somebody say a long time ago. There's nothing you'll have to give up to go to heaven that you will not eventually have to give up to go to hell. And I've... You know, when, when my favorite guitar players, you know, I see them pass away and stuff. I love to hear these little, you know, they're like, I saw one that said, yeah, he's in God's tavern now. I'm like, yeah, that's probably what he's doing is up there throwing back beers with the Lord and having a good time and playing. I'm like, you know, they, they'll, they'll say things like that. But I'm like, you know what? You wanted to keep on, hold on to all that sin down here on earth. And you're like, no, Lord, I'm glad you saved me and I want your forgiveness. But I don't want to have to change. I don't want to have to give this stuff up. I want to keep this stuff. Well, then guess what? Eventually, you're going to give it up. Because one day we draw our last breath and we do stand before God in judgment. And you want to be pure and you want to be holy and you want to look back over your life and realize that he purified you you want to look back over your life and realize that he changed you and that what you were when you first got saved that dead bear in the trap you became the mighty man of god that you became the mighty woman of god he did so much in your heart that you're just amazed and when you stand before him like lord i wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for you look what you did in my lifetime there. That's the testimony that you want to have. You want to be able to stand before God in might and in His power and not defeated and wishing you could go back and do it again. So I want to end with this. This is a poster that I see at some school every year. 
But it says, watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character because your character becomes your destiny. And it all starts with your thoughts. What do you think about through the week? Is it just you and what you want? Or do you desire to get closer to Him? Do you desire His words? Do you desire more of Him?